this new series that we're starting today called Outward with the Mission. And uh, it's interesting when you hear that word mission, you, it, it sort of raises the question, so what is it? And if you went to a hundred different churches, you might hear a hundred different expressions of what the mission of the church is all about. And what's very important for us is to recognize that the mission isn't God's if he didn't define it. So it, like we don't get to just sort of come up with something and, and then just do it and hope that God blesses it. It's, it's really us coming to him and saying, what, what is what you want us to be about as a church? Now, we define our mission, the way we state it is cultivating connected followers of Christ. And what we want you to know at the very beginning, before we get to anything else, it, we want you to know that that statement was derived from the scriptures. Now, the scriptures don't say it in those exact words, but we want you to know that every word in that phrase does find its origins in the early church and how Jesus inaugurated the church. So we'll get to that. I wanna ask you a question. Have you ever heard of the Great Commission? Now you've probably heard us reference that a time or two or maybe somewhere else. I came across a very interesting study this week that George Barna did very recently. And what he was curious about was in kind of evangelicalism, how many people are familiar with that phrase, the Great Commission? He even gave scriptures. You can see the, the survey results here. And I, I want you to look up there and just see which of these scriptures you would associate with that title or tag, the Great Commission. Just real quickly look at it. Five verses. Which of those... As far as you know, and you may say, I just, I don't know. Got it? Now, here's what's fascinating about this survey. Here are the results. Look at the percentages there. Number four is our passage that we're going to study today. 37% out of all of the people, and these are church-going people, only 37% of them could identify that passage. And notice at the bottom, 32% weren't sure if any of those related to the Great Commission. So now, let's not be too hard because the word, the phrase Great Commission isn't in the Bible. You're not gonna find it anywhere. It's actually a fairly recent tag. So the early church didn't kind of say, hey, remember when Jesus shared the Great Commission with us? They didn't do that. Uh, it was actually coined by a Dutch missionary named Justinian von Wells in the 1600s. So that's where this phrase began to get some traction. And then Hudson Taylor, uh, missionary to China in the late 1800s through 1905, he really popularized that phrase. But I want to go to one more slide here. And um, these are people who have never even heard the phrase. 51%. Half of those in the church 
that phrase doesn't ring a bell at all. Now, what's concerning about that is in church circles, at least since the 1800s, that's how we talk about doing church, that we're on mission and there's a great commission and it's found in Matthew 28. Like that's, that's supposedly very common knowledge, but not so much anymore. And I will tell you, as I came into preparing for this, I truly, if I'd never seen this survey, I would have said everybody in this room has heard the phrase, knows where it's located, and can probably explain a general idea of what it means. And this, is, this says nothing about you. This is our culture at large. I'm not assuming that one bit. And so actually, if you're here and you haven't ever heard of it and you don't know where it is and you don't know what it means, that's all right. You're in great company. So we're gonna all get into this passage. We're gonna get down into the details of this passage together so that we understand like this is it. If you're in church, if you're a Christian, if you claim to be a disciple, a follower of Christ, this is it. There isn't anything else. There's not another option. This isn't the great suggestion. It's the great commission. It's a command. Now, our passage begins with a meeting on a mountain with Jesus. This is shortly after his resurrection. And apparently he had instructed on three different occasions, he had instructed his disciples to meet him in Galilee at a mountain. Look at verse 16. Now the 11 disciples, Judas has died. And so now there's just 11. They haven't appointed a 12th yet. So the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. What an interesting introduction to the Great Commission. Now, um, the location of Galilee is important. Because remember, Jerusalem is the locus of uh, Christianity in terms of like what's anticipated, Israel, like everything's there. So why does Jesus tell them to go to Galilee? Well, Galilee is north, significantly north, about a five-day journey north of Jerusalem and begins to take you out of the formal area of Israel and more into Gentile territory. So it is interesting that Jesus would take his new disciples out of Israel and into the world in order to give them their great commission. He meets with them on a mountain, which signifies this is a very important moment. Um, if we looked through the book of Matthew, uh, he selected his disciples on a mountain. His sermon on the mount <laughs> was delivered there, right? That's the essence of Christian doctrine and understanding of the gospel. And then uh, Jesus was transfigured before a couple of his disciples on a mountain. So in all of those occasions, Jesus was, was very pointed about saying, this 
really matter. You can't miss this. And that's also, you can see that in the Old Testament as well. Just think about Moses going up on the mountain, right? To, to get the 10 commandments. So this tells us that something very, very important is happening here. Notice that there's a group that's with him. It starts by saying the 11, but then uh, after that it says, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Now that's been a little troubling for folks because they've just thought like some of the 11 doubted. I mean, didn't they just, they've already seen the resurrected Christ. There's been a couple of appearances prior to this meeting where they've seen the risen Christ. So it seems a little strange that some, one of the 11 would doubt. But what we find is um, there was an anticipation of this meeting in Galilee that was probably bigger than the 11. The women at the empty tomb, they were told to, to see Jesus in Galilee. Did you know that? And then also in 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul lays out the gospel and he talks about uh, people who have seen the resurrection, he specifies that there was an occasion where 500 people visibly saw the risen Christ at one time. There isn't any other explanation in any of the gospels of that kind of gathering, particularly in Jerusalem. So this is honestly the best explanation for what Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 15. So what I want you to imagine is the 11 are certainly there. Jesus is very specific with them. They're gonna be the apostles of the, of the new church, but they're probably joined by a lot of other people. And there probably is some doubt going on. Perhaps not many of those had seen the risen Christ yet. So they show up in Galilee. They go, hey, there's this big gig happening in Galilee. Jesus is supposed to show up. I haven't seen him yet. And then as they're there, they see off in a distance a man coming. And they may be wondering, is this the real deal? Is this guy a fraud? Is he a stand-in? I heard that the disciples stole the body. So what's going on here? So that doubt isn't unexpected. It's actually kind of a refreshing description of a broken yet hopeful people just like us. And isn't it interesting, first of all, that Matthew is so transparent as to say, hey, these are disciples. These are, these are real people. They're real followers, but they're struggling a little bit. And yet Jesus doesn't withhold his commission. He gives it to them. He calls them to live with their doubt and to push through by faith into the greatest mission on earth. And so that takes us to the commission, beginning in verse 18. Read with me. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, there is more here than we can possibly cover this morning, but we're gonna try and get a very clear idea of what Jesus is doing with his 
earliest disciples, his early followers. You can break down this commission into three parts, authority, activity, and assurance. Authority, activity, and assurance. Let's start with authority in verse 18. Before Jesus tells his disciples to go do something, he gives them the basis or the warrant for his commission. And his statement to them is, hey, in case you were wondering at all, I have been given absolute unrivaled authority. Now, that's kind of an interesting thing for Jesus to say because he, he demonstrated a, a real authority throughout his ministry. Remember, like over creation, turns water into wine, calms a storm, right? Does kind of that, that kind of thing. He uh, has authority over sickness and disease, even death. All, think of all the places where he healed and raised Lazarus, right? He demonstrated uh, authority over spiritual forces, demonic forces. They answered to him. So he definitely had authority. But <clears throat> as we see Jesus going about his business and establishing his ministry, he always did it under authority. Remember, he always talked about, like, I don't just do what I want to do. I do what the Father tells me to do. So with humility, he, though he had authority, remember he didn't regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he came under the authority of the Father while he did his earthly ministry. Remember his temptation in the wilderness. Satan takes him up on a mountain and he says, I can give you all the kingdoms of the earth. I can give you absolute authority. And what did Jesus say to him? Get out of here. First of all, you don't have it to give to me. And I'm already under authority and I happen to know the one who has it. So he reflected prior to his resurrection an appropriate submission to authority. But here... He's given it fully in heaven and on earth. Comprehensive, nothing at all, no speck is out from under his authority. Which really just means that not only does he have the ability to, to exercise his power, which he always had, but now he has the absolute freedom and right to exercise that power whenever and however he chooses. Now, I think that raises a great question as we get into this idea of mission. And as he was you know, laying out this great commission to his disciples, remember, he's trying to establish first his authority. Now, I think the reason he's doing that is because he wants there to be an understanding. If you're a follower of Christ, you are never a person in authority. You're always a steward. You're always an under shepherd. You are following the orders of the one who is in authority. So here's the question. Practically speaking, does Jesus have the same authority over your life 
that he declares he has over all things in heaven and earth. Now, don't answer too quickly. I want you to think about how you live day in and day out. And does that reflect this idea that Jesus Christ has the same authority over you as he does everything else in the universe? And if not, why not? I know that's a hard question and nobody does this perfectly. But I think if we dig down into that, at some level, there is this fear, fear of what Jesus might call us to do, fear of what circumstances he might allow, just a fear that really does revolve somewhere around the goodness of God. I really love what David Platt has to say here. He says, if you can trust God to save you for eternity, then you can trust God to lead you throughout your life on this earth. Now that's super easy to say and challenging to live, isn't it? But what we're trying to get at here is the reality. Like let's stop talking about just concepts and ideas and possibilities, hypothetical situations. Jesus either is or isn't in authority. And not only of the whole thing, uh, the whole universe, but of me. So his authority serves as the basis for this commission. Let's look at it. This is now activity, verses 19 and 20. And um, unfortunately, the way the English is rendered, it, it makes it a little harder to get how this passage is really laid out from a Greek perspective. So what you have here is one imperative and three participles. So if you're not a big grammarian, that's okay. An imperative is a command. That just means go do this. And then participles give you some idea about how you ought to go about doing what was commanded. Now, we would think by looking at the English that the command is go. That's actually a participle. The command, the imperative in this passage is make disciples. And then going, baptizing, and teaching are the means by which we're supposed to make disciples. That's how those things relate to one another. Let's start with make disciples. Let's make sure we're clear on that because I really wonder, you know, if I, if I pulled everybody in here and I said, what does it mean to make a disciple? I don't know what you would say. And again, that's okay, especially if nobody's ever told you. I certainly wouldn't know if nobody ever told me. It's not like we just sort of get this, that we're just smart enough to, to think it up, like making disciples means something. I, maybe this will help a little bit. <clears throat> we throw around that phrase, make disciples, but it, it really can mean a lot of things to different people. Kind of like if I say football, okay, some of you will think of this, okay? But some of you, if I say football or football, maybe with a little accent, would think of this. And if you're really confused, you may end up with this, rugby. It seems like football and football somehow jumbled together. But anyway, 
It's really important if, if you show up at an American football game with no pads and you think you're gonna be kicking a ball around, you're gonna have some problems, right? So when we say make disciples, let's not just casually go, oh yeah, we know what that means. Yeah, doesn't everybody? Let's be really clear. Let's clarify what is involved in that. We talk about cultivating connected followers of Christ. So when you hear make disciples, hopefully you hear we want to cultivate connected followers of Christ. Now we talked about the natural man or woman and their condition. Here's a picture of that. Remember, it's, it's rooted in guilt and shame. They're far from God. They're unaware, isolated, aimless, self-absorbed. That is the life in the flesh. That is a life that is disconnected from God. It's a corrupted life. Here's a connected life. And there's so much here that we could really delve down into, but the bottom line is the gospel is at the center. The good news that we're called to carry with us everywhere we go. And that gospel allows us, enables us, guides us to connect upward with God and backward with our story and withward with the body and inward with our gifting and outward with what? The mission. That gospel allows us to do this to begin with. So making disciples is about making sure that we get all of those connections. Those are biblical connections. And it is in those connections that we find life on this earth, in this broken world, in all of its imperfection, we can find, we can taste genuine spiritual life in Christ so what if you, and I mean you, I don't want you to think I'm talking to somebody else. <laughs> I know there's a whole bunch of us in here, but I'm talking to you. What if you could help somebody else who is experiencing a corrupted life gain a connected life? Can you think of anything better? Can you think of anything more fulfilling we're not just talking about better circumstances on this earth. We're talking about eternal life. That's what you and I get to be a part of if we are involved in making disciples. Now, it's not just about conversion as we're gonna see when we get into the participles. It's about helping people to grow this is disciple making. So again, when you hear the phrase making disciples, we need to think of two words. These are two blanks in your outline. I did that on purpose because I want you to never forget this. Making disciples is evangelism and equipping. Evangelism and equipping. Say it with me. Evangelism and equipping. It's not evangelism and discipleship. I heard that forever and I couldn't ever understand that because the Great Commission just says, make disciples. 
It doesn't say evangelize. You get what I'm saying? That's where we need to be a little more precise, a little more careful about how we talk with one another. We're called to make disciples, which involves going, baptizing, and teaching, evangelism, and equipping. So let's look at each of those. First, when it says go, therefore, you could better translate that when you have gone. That, that gives it more of that participle kind of feel. It's just assumed that you're gonna go. And then assumed in that is that going actually means something other than just your proximity, like you're, you're moving your body from there over to there. But it means that when you go over there, you're gonna be doing something over there. It assumes proclamation of the gospel. This is where we really get the evangelistic piece. That there is this going that involves praying for and anticipating opportunities to introduce others to Christ. It means that as I am going, I am initiating spiritual conversations. So this is where I just want to be really clear. When Jesus gives the great commission, he, he is assuming that if you're a Christ follower, that's just what you do everywhere you go. It doesn't mean you always have a spiritual conversation every single time you talk. It just means that the way you move through life is in this prayerful, anticipating kind of thing where you're just always going, Lord, give me an opportunity. Give me ears to hear, eyes to see, a heart to respond. Whenever I see an open door, I'm gonna walk through it. I'm gonna be ready to go. Romans 10 Paul asks the questions, how are they to hear without someone preaching? And that is not referring to what I'm doing right now. Okay? You're not off the hook because you're not a preacher. You're a courier. And God has given you a message, the greatest message on earth. And what he's asked you to do is to deliver the mail everywhere you go. Successful evangelism. I, I heard this first when I was involved with Crew. as a college student. It's a beautiful explanation. We're gonna talk more about this as we get further into the series, but I want you to hear it today. Successful evangelism is taking the initiative to share Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God. That's all you're asked to do when it comes to evangelism. You don't have to twist somebody's arm. You don't have to be an apologetic genius. You don't have to have the answer to every single question on earth. You know the answer to the most important question and that is what do I do about the sin that separates me from God? You know the answer to that question and that's what you get to tell 
others who are in the midst of a corrupted life. So, when you have gone, make disciples, baptizing them. Now, the fact that baptism is included in the Great Commission tells you it's pretty significant. (laughs) There's not a whole lot here. So whatever is here, man, we don't want to minimize that. Unfortunately, some have made more of baptism than they should. They attach the symbolism of it to salvation. And that is, that's incorrect. But it still has a very important role to play in our proclamation. Notice that Jesus only gave two ordinances, communion and baptism. That's it. Baptism is a public confession of identification with three things, a new identity, a new way of life, and a new gospel-centered community of faith. That's what baptism does. We don't do it just because it's a cool tradition or it's kind of a religious thing. We do it out of obedience. Jesus said, I want you to go, I want you to make disciples, and when someone comes to faith, baptize them. It's an opportunity for them to declare this decision that they've made and it's instructive for all who see it. This is the gospel. Them identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Now, if you wanna read more about our position on baptism, you can go to our website. We've got it there in big fancy words. It is significant that He tells them to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. An explicit reference to the Trinity, which is unique to all other explanations of God on earth. Three in one. So that's not insignificant. When somebody goes, oh, well, Trinity, I mean, you know, I mean, kind of like, I mean, these people over here, they're a little uncomfortable with, you know, truly working that out. They're more comfortable with just one God, one person, three names, that kind of thing. It's like, no, no. God is Father, Son, Spirit, three persons in one God, all equally God, but distinct in their functions. That is the bottom line. That is who he is. And if we present him in any other way, we're presenting something other than God. It really matters. So let's not, let's not just let that go. Let's be clear about who it is we're referring to when we're talking about God. Teaching. Mark Deaver, Pastor Mark Deaver says, discipleship is my following Jesus. Discipling is me helping someone else follow Jesus. That's a good, simple way of clarifying this. This idea of teaching, again, you might think, well, that's just something that the paid professionals probably ought to do. And um, this is actually a function that any of us can do. And all we're responsible for is what we know. So whatever it is that you have received, you now have that to give away to someone else. 
regardless of how little that might be. We're in an unfortunate time and an amazing time right now. The access to content is unprecedented. You can get the greatest teaching on earth and never get to the end of it. Just with a click of a button. So what we've done, I'm afraid, as a church, as a church culture is we have succumbed to the idea that that access to the one-to-many presentations is enough that we don't have to do the one-to-one kinds of life interactions. And in reality, the church was designed to be multiplied personally, face-to-face. There's nothing wrong with getting content from other places on a Sunday morning, in a class, in a seminar, at a conference, online. That's all okay. But don't ever let that get in the way of personal delivery of the commands of Christ because that's the great commission. Teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. And here's what's important about that. I can't assume that just because you heard a message somewhere that you're going to apply that. But I tell you what, if we're in relationship with one another, if we're having conversation, if we're asking each other hard questions, we start to get down to the level of obedience, application, life change. So going, baptizing, teaching. Um, David Platt summed that up in this way. I thought this was great. Um, I changed the third word. I hope he'll forgive me. Um, he, He said, share the word, show the word, instill the word. That we can take this idea of making disciples. So again, we're trying to define here. Share the word, that's the going part. Show the word, baptism, symbolic, right? A picture, and then instill the word, teaching, delivering the truth. And I wanna take us back to that idea that I shared on Vision Sunday about traveling companions. And I want you to, to really revisit that and not only think about you having traveling companions for you, but you being on somebody else's list. So if you're not a Paul in somebody's life, if you're not a mentor, then that's something to pray about and pursue because that's part of this great commission that God's called you to. If you don't have a Nicodemus, a seeker, somebody who doesn't know Christ yet, that's, it's part of the great commission. And, and it's not optional. <laughs> it's commanded. And that doesn't mean we need to beat each other up about that. It just means that like, that's just the deal. When when Christ said, follow me, (laughs) he's saying, following me involves making disciples, evangelism, and equipping. That's discipleship 101. Nothing could be more basic. Lastly, what makes this commission so great great is the scope. It's to all nations. Did you notice that? 
That's partly why I think Jesus took him to Galilee. Was to say, guys, this is a this is a new era, a new season. We're going to go to all the world, and we're going to do these things, not just in our close confines, but we're going to branch out. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody is supposed to pack up their bags and move overseas and go somewhere else. That honestly doesn't really make a lot of sense because all we would be doing is we'd be going there and somebody over there would be coming here. So like, practically speaking, it's okay for us to have this. Murfreesboro, Tennessee is our mission field. God will call some Matt and Tori Angel to move, to go. And then the, the part that we get to play is to come alongside them and pray and provide material support so that they can do that. That's a part of involving ourselves in the Great Commission. But make no mistake, and this is the biggest thing that I think any of us want you to hear in leadership coming out and coming into this series. You are not an exception you, very specifically you, if you have entrusted your life to Christ, you have been commanded to go make disciples, baptizing and teaching to all nations to be a part of that. Mike Stachura says, the mark of a great church is not its seating capacity, but its sending capacity. We want to send you across the street and around the world. Make no mistake. And if that makes you a little uncomfortable, it maybe it terrifies you. Look at how Jesus ends his great commission. Beautiful assurance. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. No matter what he calls you to do, no matter where he calls you to go, he has absolutely promised to go with you. To be everything that you need. We say this, that God will always give us what we need to do what he's called us to do. And that starts with his presence. Hebrews 13 says, I will never leave you or forsake you. You're never alone. You're an adopted child of the king. Romans 8 says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I, I just think the Lord says, just trust me. <laughs> just trust me. Step out. Move into something that will genuinely require me to be your king and see what I do. I wanna give us a moment here to respond to this and this series is gonna sort of build on itself. There's gonna be a lot of different ingredients to it but we gotta get this, this message to begin with that there is an unquestionable call a command, a commission for each one of us. And I guess maybe even with the idea of assurance, we're gonna, we're gonna take the Lord's Supper. So we've talked about baptism and, and now we're gonna participate in the Lord's Supper. And let this meal 
be a physical reminder of what Jesus said that I'm always going to be with you. That this meal is to, to remind us again and again and again of what Christ did on our behalf and that he is a promise keeper. We can trust him. He did everything that needed to be done to cover our sin and surely he can do everything we need him to do to carry us through this life in an influential kind of way. So make this a reflective time for you. Okay, this meal is definitely for believers. If you're not a believer, we are so glad that you're here. Let this time be an invitation to you. We wanna invite you to a connected life. We wanna invite you to Jesus. And if you're to trust him, then this meal makes all the difference in the world. It means something. It means that he gave his body and his blood as a covering for sin. He did for us what we could not do for ourselves. So come to the table full of thanksgiving and assurance of his goodness toward us. And let's let today be a great platform for us going and making disciples as a way of life.